0: Good morning, church. Um, one of the great blessings we have with our God is that he's the God of this world. He created everything, spoke the world into existence, created all that was known, all that's not even known and seen. Yet this God is humble enough to partner with us. And it's something that just been thinking about a lot, that, that God chooses to partner with us to do his kingdom work. And the beauty of that is this is how it's always been. Uh, years ago when I was in seminary, I had a, a really good mentor who um, has gone on to be with the Lord. I'm very excited to to see him someday and to be like, man, all these things you said are true. This is crazy. I wish I paid more attention. But when we were doing um, a project on the first five books of the Bible, and this guy loved the Old Testament. He knows that a lot of us don't, and a lot of us get stuck in Leviticus and Deuteronomy and we get lost. So this project was interesting because we had to... Look at, you know, the other idols and the other gods of that era, and it's a really fascinating project because you get to learn that, you know, idols have always been the same, right? And one of the fascinating things about this project that we were working on is um, if it wasn't so ridiculous, like, you would just, I mean, so, for example, this is one god who his temple, right, was seven football fields long. So I guess you had to really know you wanted to worship that day to get there. Um, But they were all about bigger, better, faster. And it seems that the God in the Old Testament knew this about the human condition and wanted his people to know that I want to do something different. So you had these other gods who would have these big temples and all ornate, and God's like, put me in a box and I'll be with you in the night and day. Another thing that's fascinating is I started reading is that we would have these old books that were older than my great-grandparents, and the print was very, very tiny, so my eyes would be squinting and fighting, and I'm trying to read along, so I played a little game with myself, and I said, God, this is awful. I need you to give me something to keep me alive, right? And God would always answer, and I remember this one time I was reading about this um, ancient Near Eastern God, and it was fascinating. They went into all this detail about Building him an idol and all this. But the most fascinating part was they would then, like, to feed the God, they had shifts. You know, the temple priests would come out in their shift, and they would bring the food out, and I'm in the middle of the seminary library, and everyone's trying to be a theologian and scholar, and I just started cackling, right? And because they would get all dressed up in these fancy garments and outfits, they would come out, they would put the food in front of the the idol, and then for eight hours, the idol would eat the food by just smelling it through his eyes, right? And I was sitting there, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is hilarious, and everyone's like, what is wrong with him? I tell that story because I think it's very, very for us, important for us to realize that God's always desired all of us to do his kingdom work. And when you get back to Leviticus and you get back to Deuteronomy, what you find is it might be painstaking for us, right? But this God was the only God in the ancient Near East that fed his priest. This God was the only God who didn't care about bigger, better, faster, but he cared about... This box that represented, I am always with you. I will be there in the night. I will be there in the day. And the other thing that's fascinating about these Old Testament you're reading through is you realize this God cared about the widow's mite. He cared about everything that you can give. And he made it possible that wherever you were in society didn't determine your love for him. Whatever you can give to him, he was willing to use that. And that if you do little things with great love, you can be a part of his kingdom. Let's pray together. God, in every kindness, for every cup of water, for every extra step or mile we take, Lord, help us to do little things with great love. Spirit, with every breath that we breathe, in every new life in Christ, in every person transformed and made new, Jesus, help us to do little things with great love. If you have your Bibles this morning, amen. If you have your Bibles this morning, um, our passage is Mark chapter 4, verses 30 to 32. This morning we will be talking about the mustard seed and the kingdom of God. In Mark 4 we read, again he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? or What parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on the earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all the garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. One thing that's fascinating about Jesus is that he came and he sought to transform the way people thought about God. He wanted to transform the way people thought about themselves. He wanted to transform the way people thought about life. He wanted to transform the way people thought about the world. Because sometimes people would think about God as the absentee father or the all-powerful that they couldn't know or the one that was so mysterious that they could never understand him. Jesus came to say, no, 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 here I am. Here is God in flesh. You can know me. You can see me. You can touch me. But more than that, you can be known by me. You can be felt by me. And you can be loved by me. Jesus wanted everybody to be transformed with how they understood God. But Jesus also wanted people to transform how they thought about themselves. See, as old as time, we as people have always struggled with how we feel about ourselves. Whether or not we're good enough. Whether or not our past is always going to haunt us. Whether or not we will ever be lovable whether or not we can do things the right way all the time, whether or not this God really cares. And Jesus came to say, no, 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 no. Not only are you important, you're so important that I came for you. You're so important that I'll teach you how to live. You're so important that I'll die for you. You're so important that even after when I'm raised from the dead, I will sit at the throne of my Father and I will pray for you every single day. That's how important you are. This is why Paul, when he writes his letter to his Ephesians, he says, You need to remember that God spoke the world into existence. But when he thinks about you, he thinks of you as his workmanship, his masterpiece. The ancient Greeks would call it Eureka when they found something unbelievable. So the idea here was when God created you, all of creation was beautiful. But when it came to you, he said, oh, my goodness, I've done it now. That's my masterpiece. It's kind of how I feel when I cook a steak omelet. It's beautiful. But Jesus also wanted people to transform how they thought about life. God wanted to show us how to live in a way to please him. God knew about this ancient condition that we're always going to worry about me and mine, that we're always going to look out for ourselves, that it's always going to be about me. And Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and life more abundantly, but that life that I've come to give is for my father in heaven and for your sister and brother next to you. It's not about me and mine. It's about all of us. Jesus came to transform how we look and how we live our lives. And he wanted all of us to live and love as he lived and loved. But Jesus also came to transform how we think about the world. You know, one of the greatest travesties of Christianity is that we have this lie that we're going somewhere else. So who cares about the world, right? The hippies can care about living green and all that. But here's a little news flash: Earth, heaven is coming down to earth. God is going to transform and redeem this world. When you choose to follow Jesus, you accept the mantle that he gave to Eve and to Adam to care for this world. We only have one world. Some of us think about it as, like, well, let just let's blow up and we'll get a new one. That's not how it works. God desires all of us to be sowing into this earth and making this earth new and redeeming this earth and working for this earth. That's the mantle he put on Eve and Adam. And that's the mantle we're to carry out to, as well. So many of us are just like, well, just burn it up, use it up. Who cares? We're going to heaven. News flash. Heaven's coming to earth. You need to take care of the earth. Jesus wanted you to transform how you think about the earth. And he would do this primarily when he taught through these things called parables. I had a a camp counselor one time who said, you know what parables are? They're everyday earthly stories with a heavenly meaning. And I've held on to that ever since earthly stories instead of heavenly I said that's just we can't wrap our arms around that so I said earthly stories with a kingdom meaning and that's what Jesus would do Jesus uses these parables then to transform all these things I've been talking about Jesus used parables to transform what you thought about God what is God like let me tell you a story Jesus taught parables to tell you how to transform yourselves. What are you like? Let me tell you how I feel about you. I'm the father who will do anything to bring you back home. But I'm also the father who's noticed you here all this time, and I still love you. Everything I have is yours. Jesus is also wanting to transform how we think about life, how we think about forgiveness, and how we treat each other, how we think about the world. What I love about parables, though, is that Jesus would always start with where the people were before taking them to where he desired them to be. He would always start with a base of understanding that they knew before he added it on. And to me, this is why Jesus was brilliant and why he's such a great teacher. You know, the funny thing about teaching is that you always have to start with a base of understanding and then add on to it. You know, my my four-year-old is learning how to count, and it's beautiful, right? But it's probably not time for me to be like, you know what? You can count to 100 or whatever. Now we can do calculus. That would not make me a good teacher right? If a kid's learning the alphabet and they get to A, B, C, D, they get all the way to Z, it's like, that's beautiful, kid. Now you can learn E equals MC squared, right? They're kind of connected, but not really. There's a big jump. A good teacher has to start with where you are before adding on, and they have to add on to new concepts by progressively adding, right? So for example. If you're going to teach about the kingdom, I can't start up here if you'll never get there with me. I got to start with things you know, things you understand, and I'm going to use those things to enhance your growth. And that's how we teach. You have to find the base of what people understood. And that was the genius of Jesus's parables. He always start with something that was so familiar, something that everyone knew. And then he says, but here's what I want you to know about God. But here's what I want you to know about me. But here's what I want you to know about the kingdom. But here's what I want you to know about yourself. So when you get to this parable of the mustard seed, you see that Jesus is talking about something very, very common. You know, the black mustard seed was actually very, very familiar. In fact, everyone in this audience would have known them because it was grown all around the Sea of Galilee, further north, all over Palestine. When Jesus says the mustard seed, everyone would be like, yeah, I hate that mustard plant. It's out bad. It just keeps growing. But this seed would start off very small it was one millimeter barely fits in the palm of your hand right but even though it started off very very small it would grow to be about 10 to 15 feet it was enough that if you were on horseback it could cover you it was enough that like the birds the linnets and the finches would come and they would rest in it everyone not only knew about the mustard seed everyone would have seen a mustard seed everyone would be familiar with the mustard seed And everyone would have used the mustard seed. You know, another thing that they did with the mustard seed is they used it to make oil for cooking or spice for their meats, which warms my heart. Whenever people eat meat, it warms my heart. Good for you. God bless you all. I'm sorry if you don't eat meat. God still loves you. But they would also use the mustard seed, not just as oil and, and to spice the food and the meat. They would use it as medicine. And this is the most fascinating piece. We had a doctor in the last service. I was hoping he would explain this to me. He didn't. But apparently, over a couple thousand years, you lost it in somewhere, right? But they would use this as medicine to treat serpent and scorpion bites, which leads me to wonder why you're hanging out with serpents and scorpions. But that's just me. Um, They would use it to treat toothaches, they would use it to treat asthma, they would use it to treat epilepsy, they would use it to treat tetanus, and every other malady, the mustard seed was like their ancient, like, medicinal thing that they would just be in everything, right? So not only would everyone have seen the mustard seed, right, everyone would have been able to know where one was, everyone would be able to describe one, everyone probably would have used the mustard seed. Right. With this parable, we often just rush to the end. We're like, yeah, it starts off small and it goes big. That's it. Good. I know the story. Right. But Jesus seems to be diving at something bigger. You know, he starts with the familiar. It's almost like if I came and I said, hey, guys, you know how in the spring here in central Pennsylvania, when you walk outside and your car is just tinted in that beautiful yellow all over of pollen. Some of you be like, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Or if I said, you know how here in central Pennsylvania, it's just beautiful, right? In the summer, you go boating in the Susquehanna, but then there's people who fish. Do they even eat that fish? I hope not. You would probably know what I'm talking about, right? Or for some of us who've been here for more than a minute, I said, you know how at HBIC, whenever we have any kind of food event, we have what? giant fried chicken? You'd be like, yeah, we do. You would know what I'm talking about, right? This familiarity is the same familiarity that Jesus starts with this mustard seed, right? So yes, the point is it's small and it grows quickly, but God was trying to make a deeper point than that. He was trying to say that every common thing can be used for my glory. So it's not just about the size. We rush to the size of the kingdom, but Jesus is saying even something as common as what you see outside, even something as common as what you see out back, even something that's common that you use every single day, that can be used for my glory. Because the point Jesus is trying to make is that every little thing you do can be used for my glory. Every little thing you do with love can be used for my kingdom come, for my will to be done. Every single thing you do matters. Every extra step you go for someone. Every extra mile you walk with them. Every extra hug you give to them. Every extra listening ear that you bless them with. Everything you do for the kingdom, everything you do for one another, it can be used for my glory. It's not useless. It's not insignificant. It's you bringing the kingdom come. The mustard seed was supposed to point us to the kingdom. What's fascinating is something the people also knew was that the kingdom... Was coming. Years ago, I went to, um, years ago, I think I was in college, a bunch of us went to New York City. One thing I love about New York City is it remains one of the few, I would say, magical, almost romantic places in the United States, right? Like most of us, like I grew up in Philly, no one says, I just can't go to Philadelphia, it's beautiful, right? No one says that, right? And it's beautiful, but you've got to find the beauty, it's in the eye of the beholder. But New York City is magical. When people come from the world over, one of the places they start is New York City. It's just, it's this beautiful place. And I know some people are just like, well, I like my city too. It's not New York, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, it's just not, right? You get over, go to New York, it's beautiful. But one of the things I remember coming back from New York one time, you know, we would go and we, it was crazy to park in the city, it was too expensive. It's beautiful, but it's expensive. Uh, expensive. So we would park on the Jersey side and take the train over or the ferry over. Marina's one night, we took the train. It was about 1 a.m., we're coming back i remember seeing this guy in full orthodox jewish garb i remember thinking to myself it was like an existential crisis i'm just like what is happening like it's 1 a.m sir like why are you here you know instead of me worrying about me and be like why am i out at 1 a.m i was just like why are you here you know full garb and all my friends thought it was weird too but me i was just i gotta find out right so i go and i talk to this guy and i learned his name was tobit tobit the jew was my friend And I remember this conversation 15, almost 20 years later because of what he said to me, right? And we started talking. I started asking about his faith. He's like, what are you doing in the city? I was like, it's beautiful. It's magical. We're just enjoying the city. You know, I was like, what are you doing? He's like, I was visiting family and friends. I was like, oh, that's a much better excuse than what I was doing, right? But I remember talking to him, and one of the things he shared kind of rocked me to my core, right? And before he left, he said to me, we remain faithful because Messiah will come today. And that rocked me to my core because we as Christians believe Jesus is coming again, right? But we kind of think of it as this far off thing, right? And here's someone who doesn't believe in the Messiah, but every single day they wake up and say, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day Christ is coming. It's not just a future hope. It might happen today. I need to be ready. And that rocked me because I realized at 21 or or 18, 19, I realized, why am I not living this way? Why is heaven still the future? Why am I not excited that today might be the day my Christ comes again? Tobit reminded me that the kingdom has come, and it's already come, and Jesus can come back right now. But what I think is fascinating about people hearing this mustard seed parable is that they knew the same thing. This wasn't Tobit inventing it. The ancient Jews and even Jews today, they're expecting Messiah to come right now. And what I love about Jesus is he says, not only can you expect me to come, but I have come. Not only have I come, but I am your Lord. I have come through the giving of the scriptures. I have come through the blessing that my followers were unearthed into this world. I have come that we can start small and in obscurity and grow to change the world. We talked about John in the book of First John. We shared that Jesus in his lifetime probably preached to hundreds of thousands of people, right? It's a pretty safe bet, right? And mostly because, you know, the people who wrote back then felt the need not to include women and children, which is terrible. Um, so we'll be like the feeding of the 5,000. As a kid, I'm like, well, how many women and children were there? Can't we call it the feeding of 20,000? I like big numbers. Sounds good, right? But Jesus preached to maybe hundreds of thousands in his lifetime, right? Out of that hundreds of thousands, we can just say probably thousands of people believed, right? Out of the thousands of people who believed, 72 we know for sure he sent out into the villages to talk about him and to usher in the kingdom and to say, Jesus has come for you. Out of that 72, there's 12 he discipled. Some people like to cut it down to 11, but I still think Judas matters, Right? There's 12 people he discipled who lived with him, who walked with him, who learned what God looks like, who learned the power of God in this world, who listened to the God of this universe and slept with him and ate with him and everything with him for three years. But out of that 12, there was four on the inner circle. Peter, Andrew, James, and John. They were there at the Mount of Transfiguration. They were there in Gethsemane. They were his best friends in all of this. But out of those four, there's one he calls his beloved. There's one he calls his best friend. There's one he left to Mary that said, you're going to take care of my mother, Mary, because I'm going to go to heaven to pray for you and get it ready for you. It was John. Now, I start with all these numbers because he might have preached to tens of thousands, to hundreds of thousands, maybe thousands believed, but we know for sure 72 went out, 12 were disciples, four in the inner circle, one in his best friend. But sisters and brothers, we are now part of a kingdom that is billions strong. Billions of people have believed. And we believe that until Jesus comes back, billions more will believe. But it started small. It started intentional. It started from obscurity to the glory of God. So when Jesus talks about the mustard seed, it's not just, oh, we go small to big. It's every little small thing you do matters because that's how we get more people in. One of the things that's beautiful about Jesus' kingdom is that it's always been for the world. You know, John 3.16 is one of the most famous verses, probably the most famous verse in the Bible. A lot of us in this room, when we became Christians, at some part of the Christian journey, whether or not we use that to say, Jesus, I've, I've asked forgiveness of for my sins, I choose to follow you. At some point, we use John 3.16. And if someone didn't use that to tell you about Jesus, there's a good chance somewhere along the line you've used that to tell someone else about Jesus. Here's the great irony of John 3.16. It says it pretty clearly what Jesus is doing, right? For God so loved... The world, right? But in our culture, what have we made that verse? For God so loves you, he sent his son for you. We forget the very base of the verse is what? For God so loved the world. That's what Jesus came. Jesus loves you, but he also loves the world. Jesus died for you, but it's not about you. It's about us. It's about the whole world. That was God's plan from the beginning. For For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. And this challenges me as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, because I grew up thinking we're supposed to hate the world, but God so loved the world. I grew up thinking the world's evil, let's run from it, but God so loved the world. I came up telling you everything the world has and what we shouldn't have in the world, but God so loved the world. The kingdom has always been about the world. Another thing that's fascinating about this is that these parables aren't just for the first Christians they aren't just for the people Jesus spoke to they're for all of us all of us can look at these parables and glean these truths about Jesus because here's the funny thing about Jesus is his followers are called to go to the world to build his kingdom and not our own fiefdoms you got to bear with me on this one because a kingdom has what a king the king has what Followers. The king sets the boundaries. The king says the mission. The king has the vision. The king is who you work for. For so many of us, our Christianity has been reduced to fiefdoms, where we think of God as this absentee God who we keep on a need-to-know basis, where God is good, but I'm just going to tap into him when I need it because I got to focus on my family. I got to focus on my career. I got to focus on my job. I got to focus on all these things that are on my plate. And maybe sometimes I can ask God for advice, maybe. If you're all about building your fiefdoms, then you're not about our Father's kingdom work. So, one of the first things that we have to do is always consistently take a step back and say, God, all these things you've blessed me with, how am I using it for your kingdom? My hopes, my dreams, how am I using them for your kingdom? My gifts, my skills, my abilities, how am I using them to move your agenda along to make on earth as it is in heaven possible? My resources. Everything you've blessed me with, my children, my job, whatever status this world has given me, how am I using it for your kingdom? Because God is going to say every single thing matters. But if you're really not about the fiefdom and you're about your father's kingdom, then consistently you have to be asking yourself, what am I doing for my father's kingdom? What he's blessed me with, how am I giving it back to him? What am I giving to him? Am I only worried about this promotion? Or am I looking at this promotion and what it can do to help the kingdom go forward? Am I only worried about my kids being good kids and people liking them? Or am I really worried about them being lights wherever they are? Am I worried about protecting people from danger and all the darkness of the world? Or am I saying, no, 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 no. You have God on your side, the Holy Spirit in your heart, and the angels praying for your mercy, and Jesus himself praying for you. What are you afraid of? Are we willing to give God all that we have for his kingdom come, for his will to be done? You might be asking, I don't know what I can give. I think Jesus will say, every widow's mite counts. You might be asking, I don't know what I can do. And I think Jesus will tell you, every gift you have, I want it to use for my glory. Every skill you have, I want to use it for my glory. Every resource you have, I want you to use it for my glory. So often we take those things and we want to use it for ourselves. And God says, I blessed you to go and bless others. So use it for my kingdom. There's a writer, John Paul Heil, who said, what I love about the mustard seed is this. Jesus is calling his people to not just worry about Jerusalem, but also Edumea, To not just think about Judah, but Tyre and Sidon. To not just think about the crowds that followed him, but the cloud of witnesses to come one of the things that we have to start thinking about and having an imagination for is who does God want to use us to reach? I want you to take a look around this room for a second. Go ahead. I know you like looking up here, but look around. I want to leave this with you. Who are the people who are yet to fill these seats? Because here's the thing, there's people in your life that God wants to use you to help fill the seats. And it's not so we can be bigger, better, faster. It's because you're the only one who could bring them in. You're the only one who has that relationship with them. You're the only one who could challenge them. You're the only one who could pray for them, right? Last week we talked about intercessory prayer, and I, I can pray for them, and be like, God, I hope you send these people who need to hear your word. But here's the thing you have the relationships, you have the connection, you are the one who can link them to the kingdom. But what is the little thing you're willing to do to help usher them in? You know, one of the things I love about this parable is it talks about the birds coming to, to, to sit on the shade. And, and the Eagles fans can sit up. I know it's been a rough season for y'all. You can wake up. It's okay. God still loves you. And they're like, oh, we won the Super Bowl. Glad you got one. Congrats. In my, in, my, in my family, five is more than one, but that's all right. They got one. God bless them. But it's for my Eagles fans, right? Because... There's something fascinating about these birds. These are the only kind of birds that I only like eagles, to be honest, they're the worst. Um, That was just the extra one. That was just for you, actually. I like the shirt, and it inspired me. Um, But here's the thing about these birds that's fascinating, is Jesus throws this thing in there. For for years, commenters were just like confused. They're just like, I don't know where he's going with this. Like, it's big, yeah, it's small and big, and then birds come, who are the birds? And that's what I say every time I watch the eagles. I didn't stop, right? It's just, it's right there. You got to take it. Um, but here's what's fascinating about this is that Isaiah actually reminds us that ever since the beginning, God has cared for the world, right? Israel's supposed to be God's treasured possession. But Isaiah says, you know, when you built the kingdom, when you built the temple, when you put the temple on that hill in Jerusalem and Israel is in all its glory, right? My house shall be a house of prayer for all the nations, And if you didn't get that the first time Isaiah comes back again, he says, you know what's fascinating about Israel is that God only chose you to be a light for the nations. I think those things should be inspiring to us because God's plan has never just been for us here at Dairy Street. It's never been just for us who are sitting in these chairs, right? God's plan has always been for the world. It's always been for the world. Just like Israel was called to be a light, you are supposed to be a light to your world. And just like Israel was supposed to create and cultivate a house of prayer for all the nations, we have to create and cultivate a house of prayer for all the nations. My dream is to not just get more flags, around here, but that in every continent, this church is sowing into the kingdom of God. And that's going to come with the missionaries we raise. That's going to come with the prayers we send up. That's going to come by the people in this church who just love by doing something small and watching God make it big. The birds can perch in the shade. Jesus chooses these birds because he wanted to remind his followers that, yes, I planted the seed in Israel. But when this tree grows up, all the world can come and find home in it. We are the Gentiles. We are the birds. I can't believe I'm saying it. We are the birds that Jesus spoke of. We're the ones he wants to come home from out into the world, into this Israel of the Messiah and the kingdom and to rest and to rest on the branches. Ever since the beginning, God's cared about the world. The kingdom is our home. The kingdom is our home. A lot of times we think about mustard seed. We jump from small to big. We talk about the other verse that says, you know, if you have a faith of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. And it's beautiful because it reminds us that we need to have our faith in God. And God doesn't care how much big or how big your faith is or how much you're struggling, everything you're unsure of, if you give it to him, it's fine. He's sure of it. Every doubt that you have, he's seen it before. He can work with you on it. He can even grow you on it. Here's the other crazy thing. He will use you to help someone else who's having that same doubt. That's how big our God is, right? But what I love is that this faith that's gonna move mountains isn't just about God, but it's about the work he wants to do in this world. You know, if we go back to the mustard seed, we said, you know what? It grew around the Sea of Galilee and it grew around Palestine. It was something they commonly seen. This morning, I believe that one of the blessings of this parable is it's not just about the kingdom, right? Just like the church isn't about the building, it's about the people. The kingdom is also about the people. So I want you to think about who are the people in your life? Who are the people you have relationships with? Who are the people you're connected to? Who are the people that you see every day? And how are you being a light to them? How are you shining for Christ's glory? How are you bringing in that kingdom to them? The other thing that's fascinating about the mustard seed is that it was this home for people who are on the outside. So one of the things that we have to think through as Christians, and we look around the room and see these empty seats, one of the things we always have to be thinking of is who is on the outside that God needs us to bring in? Because again, only you have relationships with people. Only you know them like you know them. But who's on the outside that God wants to use you to bring in? Another thing that's fascinating is the mustard seed was used to spice the food. I think I like to eat, so maybe that's why this is rang in my soul, right? Like John Wesley talked about the heart being warmed, and I never experienced it until I ate a good meal. But I think, though, when we think about flavor, we as Christians need to realize that this world has its own agenda and what they want the fiefdom to be about. And if we are children of the kingdom and workers of the kingdom and partners with God in the kingdom, we need to be the one who's flavoring the world. So many of us think it's our job to save this world. They just don't think right. They just don't live right. They just don't believe. It's our job to save them. But let us be reminded by the scripture, which tells us what? It's the father who made the plan for salvation. It's the son who died on the cross and was raised again. And it's the spirit that even convicts people and calls them back to Jesus. It's not your job to save the world. God's got it. But it's your job to introduce a new flavor of what people think about the world. So when people have these opinions, it's not about politics. It's about Jesus, right? When people are saying something that's contradictory, it might be good for building up America, But you shouldn't care about America because you're now a child of the kingdom. That means that you should invest in what you think about immigrants. Because there's more in the Bible about immigrants than we can find about the Trinity. God seems to care about them. There's more in the Bible about loving one another than protecting our country and building the fiefdom of America. God seems to care about loving one another. We are meant to flavor this world. There's going to be things that we're going to brush up against, and it's because this world's not as it should be. But instead of throwing your hands up and quitting, just introduce a different way of thinking. And here's the best part about it. The Spirit lives in you, and the Scripture is still alive, and those things can help you flavor this world in different ways. Don't save the world. Flavor the world. Flavor the world by introducing them to the kingdom. And this last one is especially meaningful to me because the mustard seed was the medicine. And I think we always as Christians have to keep recommitting ourselves to healing a sick world. We have to recommit ourselves to mending a broken relationship, broken people, broken world. We have to commit ourselves to saying, I know there's darkness here, but it's not my job to throw my hands up and quit. It's my job to say, God, how can I help? God, what can I do? God, what is the widow's might that you have for me that I can bring light into this situation? We do not have the privilege to complain about the world not being as it should be. I will say that and say that again forever and ever. We do not have the privilege to complain that things are bad. We do not have the privilege to convince that there's darkness out there. We don't have the privilege to quit. If you're on Jesus' team, everything you do matters. Every prayer you pray matters. Every encouragement you give matters. Every love you give matters. Every extra mile you go matters. Every hug you give matters. Every ear you give matters. Everything you do matters. And that's how you can usher in the kingdom. When I was growing up in the, the church I grew up in, there was a lady named Harriet. And one of the things I loved about her was that she was very unassuming, right? She's one of those people that you almost have to go to the church for a year to know she's always been there, right? She was not up front. She was very behind the scenes. The thing I loved the most about her, though, is that, and this has inspired me since I was like seven, eight, nine years old, she was always present in every conversation. One of the things that we've gotten really good about in this culture is we can talk to you and not pay attention to you. It's really fascinating, right? We can do that really well, right? But the thing I loved about her, even at nine, ten years old, she reminded me to be present in every conversation, Right, and as our relationship grown, I started to realize that like I cared about the conversation I was having with her. I would give her my update about the week that was, and she was just present in every conversation. The other day, my Harriet, she worked at this store called the Mustard Seed, and it was funny. I asked staff, I was like, "Y'all remember the Mustard Seed?" And they're like, "What are you talking about?" The parable. I'm like, "No, the store." Right. Um, Apparently these things still exist, but it's Christian bookstores. You know, you have like CDs and books and all that stuff. The Mustard Seed, I found out after talking to staff, was apparently only in Philadelphia, right? Um, But the Mustard Seed was this bookstore. And what I loved about Harriet is that she worked at the Mustard Seed, not because she needed the money, but because she got a discount. And she got a discount on books and CDs, right? And those books and CDs that she got a discount on, she was not only present in every conversation, she bought books and CDs for us to encourage us in our faith. And the other thing about it is I realized in thinking back about this mustard seed is that, like, she intentionally poured it into me. I think about all the other kids in my Sunday school class who are doing great things for God. And I'm reminded for all of us, there's so many of you in this church that do the work behind the scenes. There's so many of you in this church that for years have poured into the ministries of this church. There's so many people who don't get to be up front preaching and yelling at you every week. But God sees you. And the work that you're doing matters. And you might not see the fruit right away. It might take 30 years from now where a kid's telling about you because now they're a missionary serving the Lord. It might be a pastor who likes to yell at his people. It might be a family who's raising their kids to say, the city's not a bad place. The city is where we are and the city is where we're going to shine. But every little thing you do matters every little thing you do matters and the moment we start believing that what we do for the kingdom what we do for God that we don't matter we lose the fight and the devil wins so if you're unassuming keep praying if they don't see you up front keep encouraging If they don't see you yelling from the rooftops or you're not the first person they see when they walk into HBIC, keep being dedicated to God and this church and this community because your work will bear fruit and that fruit will praise the Lord and that fruit will push our kingdom forward. I want to end with four questions I have for you that I think might be helpful to help us kind of land this thing a little bit this morning. The first thing is simply this. Jesus taught parables, and he was willing to meet people where they were. So my first question becomes this, how are you meeting people where they are? We're grateful that God met us where we are, but sometimes as Christians, we look at people like, how are you not better? Why are you making terrible decisions? Why aren't you living right? Aren't we glad God doesn't ask us those questions? Aren't we glad that God loves us first? Aren't we glad that God is more important, God thinks it's more important for him to pour his love upon us than to define what we're not? Aren't we glad that God sees the best in us and not the worst thing we've done, right? The point of parables wasn't just to have these cute stories with this one-time bumper sticker. The point was, I am always going to meet you where you are. And the thing for us, if we want to push the kingdom forward, we always have to meet people where they are. So the question again is, what are you doing or what are you going to do this week to meet someone where they are? second one is this, you know, Harriet, for years, you know, I can't wait to get to heaven and be like, man, it took me 20 years to appreciate you, but thank you, right? How are you sowing seeds for the kingdom? Just like that widow's might mattered, right? Just like Harriet mattered in that conversation to me as a nine-year-old. In that CD she gave me as a 13-year-old. In that book she gave me my freshman year Messiah. In those prayers she prayed for decades plus for me. Every little thing you do can matter for the kingdom. So your question becomes this week, what am I doing to sow seeds in the kingdom? Because all of us in this room are blessed with breath. All of us in this room are blessed with a God that loves us. All of us in this room are blessed with a spirit that lives in us. All of us in this room are blessed with resources, our skills, our gifts, our abilities, our children, our finances. Everything that we're blessed with, what are we doing to take those things and sow seeds for the kingdom? Because it's not about what I can build up, it's about what God wants to do with me. You have a humble God who wants to partner with you, but he cannot partner with you if you are not willing to give him what he's blessed you with for his kingdom come, for his will to be done. How are we sowing seeds into the kingdom? And the third question we've asked before, but who's on the outside that God needs you to bring in. Because here's the thing, I'll tell you this right now, I will be your greatest cheerleader. I will pray for you. I will be fervently in prayer for you. I will stand on the hill here and clap for you if that's what you need to get going. I will do whatever He takes from you. But only you have the relationships you have with those people on the outside, right? We used to think we needed experts. But, oh, we'll get the pastor to go talk to them as if like the pastor saves them, right? But only you know that friend who's struggling. Only you know that coworker who's looking for something and they don't know what it is. Only you know that family member who's turned their back on Jesus, but they always turn to you. Only you have the relationships that you have. But if you take those relationships prayerfully and say, God, whatever I have, whatever connection I have, can I use this to bring them back into the kingdom? Because here's the thing, our father always desires for all his children to come back home again. One of the things I love about the father is simply this, whether or not we're prodigal sons. You know, everyone loves to be the prodigal son, I've learned, right? No matter what you tell like, there's people I know who've been faithful Christians for 50 years, and you ask them, like, "What do they- I just love the prodigal son. I'm like, you've been faithful. Like, you're actually closer to the older brother, but I'm not going to tell you that because that might hurt your feelings, right? But we all love to be the prodigal son. But what I love about that story is that God loves both sons. That if you go off, you can come home again. If you've been here faithful and good and true, you don't have to worry about having access to the Father's love because it's always been there. You just got to sit and walk in it and accept it sometimes. Last question is this. Where do you need to trust God with just a little bit more faith? We said faith can move mountains. And sometimes we think we have to have it all together. And God is going to consistently remind you for the rest of your life, you'll never have it all together. But I love you anyway. You'll never perfectly be secure what you think about anything, right? But one of the things that I do personally, you could take this with a grain of salt, maybe we'll edit this out. But for a lot of people, right, we think that, like, we not only have to have it all together, but when we have it all together, then God can use us, right? That's not true. I'll believe, no, this is a relief to some of you. You'll never have it all together, and that's okay, Because that's the people that God uses, the people who are going to trust him with that little bit of faith. If you say, God, I'm struggling with this, but I got this little bit of faith, God will say, oh, thank you for trusting me with that little faith. God, I don't know what I think about this, and this is why I'm going back and forth, but this is all I can give you right now. God will say, thank you. I will use that faith. So where does God need to, where do you need to trust God a little bit more? How are you meeting people where they are? How are you sowing seeds for the kingdom? Who's on the outside that God needs you to bring back in? And where do you need to trust God with just that little faith, one millimeter mustard seed that he's going to grow his kingdom through? I'd like to ask Pastor Esteban to come back up with the worship team. We're going to close by saying, I'd like to invite the intercessors up. We'll pray for you for anything. We'd love to pray for you. Please, please come up. We're going to close with a song called Facing a Task Unfinished. What I love about this song is that it's inspired missionaries for I think it's almost hundreds of years. It's been redone a couple of times. Um, in 2016, the Gettys, who've written a lot of hymns, um, not only reworded this a little bit, but they got a bunch of missionaries around the world to sing and record this song in different languages. It's beautiful. It's on the YouTubes. You can Google it, too. It's fun, right? But what I love most about this song is this one line in there where it says, we go to all the world. And the thing is, if our Father is the King and Jesus is the Savior and we're working for the kingdom... That we need to go to all the world. We need to go to all our world. And we need to realize that the task is unfinished until the last person chooses to follow Jesus, right? Jesus isn't coming back until that last person makes that decision to follow Jesus. And I don't know, but you just might be the person that brings that last person home. So as we sing this song, as you come up for prayer, the challenge is simply this. Are you willing to go to all the world? Are you willing to go to your world because the task is unfinished until all the children come home. Amen? Let's sing together. Please stand.